hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 354 and part two of the live product brainstorming and website teardowns with e-commerce experts that I did with Noah Kagan, Ian Schoen, and Steve Chu. And if you guys have not listened to episode 353, you're probably going to want to because that one there was all about randomly just picking a product and brainstorming about it. And actually Noah came up with a product that was a garbage can. And we talked about if this was even something to consider. And if it was, how would you make it different? How would you get it to selling $1,000 per month in e-commerce and what platforms and how to make it better and like all of those things. And it was a really good deep dive into live product brainstorming and how to validate and test and all of that good stuff. So that was on episode 353 and that's part one of this part one, part two session that we did together. And the second part, which you're going to listen to today is the website teardowns. It's three different websites that we tear down. And these websites were submitted by Noah's audience. Okay. They submitted a whole bunch of different websites. He picked three and then he brought them onto our session. And then we all kind of dug into each one. We looked at each one. We gave our thoughts, our opinions, how we would improve it, and uh, and all of that good stuff. And I think you guys will find a ton, a ton of value from this. There's a lot of really good points brought up. And it also, I think, for you to understand and to start to listen to how you can better serve a market and also like what that market will want once they land there. It's not always about what you think. It's what the audience wants as the end result, the end game. And then from you having these different these different things on your website to get them to move through that journey or that path and the branding. And we mentioned some other websites that are doing it really, really well. And again, I'll link everything up in the show notes of this episode. And this episode is 354. So you're going to want to head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash 354. I'll also link up the part one of this if you haven't listened to that. So that'll be there for you as well. But again, a great episode and we had no idea where it was going to go and it went in a really good direction. And I think you'll hear after uh, after you listen to this from all of us that we really thought it went well and that, you know, there was a lot of great value here that I think once you listen to this stuff over and over again, you start to understand it better and also look at things a little bit differently with, uh, you know, just a different eye. And I think it's really important when you're building a business or a brand. All right, so guys, let's go ahead and jump into the second part of this roundtable discussion I did with my good friends, Noah, Steve, and Ian. Enjoy. For Let's go into some of the actual like sites that other people... So, well, finishing off the garbage can. So we have a garbage can. We do these things. We see if people want it. Let's go to some sites that have actually done it and they're past that part. They're actually selling a few of the things. They have their own websites. I've sent you guys a few three links. Learn to solderkit.com, realham.com, and Cuvée Coffee. Why don't we start start at learn to solderkit.com? I guess I was just curious because you guys have seen so many websites. Like what your guys what would you guys recommend, you know, that you guys have done, you know, e commerce sites of like, all right, here are the best practices that we'd recommend for these guys. So the first one is learn to solderkit.com. Yeah, I'll I'll take this first one since I was an electrical engineer. Um, so first of all, this site sells kits that teach you how to solder. Um, and for the, for everyone who's listening out there, like as an electrical engineer, I used to do board design. I used to solder a lot of stuff, but 
when I went on this site, I, I realized, you know, I never really wanted to learn how to solder. I wanted to learn how to build these cool kits that required soldering. So for example, when I was a kid, I like built my own walkie talkies from these kits and soldering was a prerequisite, but I built it and I learned how to solder because I wanted to build that walkie talkie. So I feel like for this site, and if you go and you land on it, like the first tagline is learn how to solder. I almost feel like that approach was a little bit wrong. Like you want to, you want to have cool kits and you want to demonstrate the kits that require soldering instead of targeting the people who actually want to learn how to solder. Because in my opinion, at least no one wants to learn how to solder. They want to learn how to build stuff. Mm, That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, to, just to kind of kind of go right exactly with what you're saying, Steve, I, I had on my notes here just, um, yeah, it, the, the, the message was was kind of like how to solder. But really, what's what's the end game? Like, what's the thing that you're trying to, to achieve? And, and I mean, to, for them to be able to teach like how to use these kits and then the tools or the soldering is just a byproduct of the actual thing. Um, so I, I would personally lead with the content, which I didn't see any, any way for them to get like a, a free tutorial or a free lesson or a free download of any kind to build this thing, to get them engaged. Um, and then from there I can introduce the tools that we're using that make the job even easier and faster. And then it can lead to a sale and then we can, you know, maybe upsell them or, or order bump them or whatever on, on that end of it. So I just see them leading with content would be the first thing in my eyes. That's great. I, I definitely see like sites uh, optimization, but Ian, what's your, what's your thought? So, yeah, I, I think that you guys are like spot on in terms of the messaging. I'll, I'll come at it from a little bit of a different angle, which is like what they're selling. So when I go to the store, I think like, okay, this is fine. Um, you know, I would expect there to be like probably a little bit more robust product offering, but maybe they're just starting out. And then I go to tools and I see that they're actually selling products on the tools page. Well, if I was them, I'd probably be selling these products in the store because store is where I go to buy things. And then even worse in my mind, um, when I go to tools, it's a link to go to Amazon. So, you know, I, I think what they're doing here is they're getting Amazon and affiliate sales. But in, in my mind, if you're going to go through all the trouble and all the headache and all the money and all the hassle to build your own site, to drive traffic to your own site, and then to deliver people to Amazon where you don't actually own the customers, that's a problem. So I would be keeping inventory in my apartment of these soldering irons. And also, the last thing that I'll say about the, the tools is I want to know why these are the best soldering irons for me. Um, I want to know what the best tools are to solder. Um, it looks like They've kind of like picked a couple, but tell me why those are the best tools. Hey, hey, no, I, I just want to add something there. Um, and and you know, Ian, you, you had a great point. But what what I what I think um, here also to think about, and like for them driving sales to Amazon, I, I totally get what you're saying. But here's another thing, and I've been actually seeing this, especially like with people that are buying like affi- associate sites, like they're building these sites, and then they're going after the affiliate sale. Like that's also another way to validate a product will sell before you actually create it. So, right. for example, let's say that he all of a sudden gets a whole bunch of sales through that site and he doesn't have the product and he's making 6% on Amazon for their associates. Well, now I know that there's a product going to sell. Now I can make that product and then just replace it with my own product at my own store. So that's another angle, um, you know, to, to do that. But again, you're, make, you're creating all that work, getting the site. If you're doing SEO, if you're not driving paid, I'm usually about paid traffic because I can do it a lot faster and I can test it quicker. Um, so just another angle, just another thought there. Well, there, I mean, I think that's really great feedback. Uh, so Scott, awesome point. You don't even have to go get the products, just no. start a site, sell the affiliate, get the affiliate. And if people are actually buying it from you, then be like, well, I can get instead of 6%, I can get 90% or whatever the margins whatever, are. Whatever margin is, yeah. Um, yeah. You, Scott's spot on. That's a great way to validate. And maybe that's what they're doing. 
possibly the the in terms of the feedback that I have for these guys on their website, I think some of the things that are confusing is that um, I actually learned this at Facebook. It was one of the things that they were very sticklers about is that the links should be the same and like right now above the fold, you should have your main call to action, mm-hmm. right? And I, I just feel like I always talk about this because no one does it right. right. But every major site in the world has their main call to action very clearly on their prime real estate. These guys don't have anything. They actually have a blue box that is the same as their buttons at the bottom, but these aren't buttons. These are just overlays. So put a call to action on your top of your page, everyone, and remove a lot of the options besides what you want them to do. Uh, and just do that up in the beginning. I think that's probably the easiest thing that they could do. Second thing that a lot of people, you guys are in e-commerce, you know this, um, they don't collect any emails or any way of communicating with their customers. Like a great e-commerce, you guys know this too. It's like a great e-commerce store at best is 5% sales, meaning out of 100 people who visit, five buy. And that's like exciting, meaning that 95 aren't ready. So get the rest of the people. Use sumo.com or use free WordPress plugins. Or sumo is free too, but go whatever it is. Just go collect emails so that you guys can let them know when you have new products or you have new, like as you guys were talking about it, Steve, I thought it was a great point. Is like have stories. Like here's how your kid can build a new, I don't know, walkie-talkie or whatever you want them to be building. Along those same lines, they should probably have the retargeting stuff uh, set up too. I, I was just kind of looking at the source code now. I didn't really see that. Um, so along the same lines, right? You want to bring people back over and over and over again until they're ready to buy. Yep, exactly. I mean, so it sounds like they have uh, you know, a few easy things they can do. Do more content marketing, consolidate the store so they can buy stuff, and then make you know optimize the site to collect emails and make the purchases easier right from the get-go. Um, let's jump into the next site, which I thought was really interesting. This guy like invented his own tong, like his new like advanced tong called realham, H A M N.com. Uh, you guys want to jump into that? Yeah. Just, just before we do is, is, is the about page or did you just link to that page or are we supposed to be critiquing that page or the whole site? No, I meant to, I meant to the whole site. That was my bad. Okay. Um, I'll just start real quick. I mean, the, the very first thing was like, like why sign up for the newsletter? Like they had that at the very bottom, like you were just saying. So number one, like newsletter, eh, like again, if you're trying to do something like we want to get them engaging with that or teaching them a recipe or something like that. And then it just happens to be that the tongs are the thing or the, whatever you're selling is the thing that you're using it with. So have recipes would be an easy thing for that. Um, and then the other thing is like, who's behind the brand? Like, I didn't see who was behind the brand. There's no real story there. And I think a lot of times, and I think, I don't know, maybe maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't, Steve, but I mean, I think having a story about why you created that brand, uh, it just makes it that much more compelling and then people buy into it a little bit more. Um, so why why are these, ta- like, probably the person that created them maybe because they, they were a chef and they hated the tongs that were in the market. So they created their own and they were a better version. Like just mm-hmm. something like that or kind of how it all happened, I think is a, is a thing that this, this uh, site was missing for me. Yeah. When I first landed on that site in the first five seconds, like I had no idea what was special about these tongs yeah. at all. And I feel like you need to know that like within the first five seconds. And then there's one page on his site that's the product page, which actually gives all the value propositions of his product. So I would actually rip apart that entire site and turn it into one long form sales page, which includes the story, which includes all the value proposition stuff. But everything about what makes it special should be above the fold right away. That's actually a really good point. When you get to the site, the first thing it says is introducing real ham chef tongs, which I still have no idea what that means. Right. Yeah. And then it's like, you want me to buy it right now, but I'm not even sure what you're buying. And then there's a video. It's funny. When I saw the video on the homepage, it has two tongs and I was like, well, they look the same. Why do I even want to play this video? So actually one thing that I've seen a lot as I've been growing my YouTube channel is like your thumbnail or that first overlay video is really important. So maybe you put text there or like, you know, you can actually put text, see in 60 seconds why this is the best tong you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Or, you know, the tongs that like real professional chefs use. The other thing that's kind of like a, a small I don't know, preference of mine is I always try to put the call to action buttons at the top, middle and bottom, or at least at the top and the bottom if you have longer pages. So their homepage, it has this like buy now button, uh, but it doesn't really have it at the bottom. I just generally always like that consistency. Hmm. Cool. The buy, the other, one other kind of little thing too is like, I like when people tell me what to do. <laughs> it sounds like I, that's why I like my Asian dominatrix. <laughs> I just like it. Just t- boss me around. Meaning that like on your site, tell me what you want me to do. Like, Hey, listen to my story, then buy the product. Hey, so for example, on his top navigation bar, it's like home, buy, product, about, video, blog. I want him to actually put one in a color that he wants me to prioritize, which is probably buying. And just put that in like a black, bolder black or a green or whatever color he likes so that I can go and buy the actual product uh, that he wants. I, I think you guys hit on most of what I would say. I, I mean, I had the same... Uh, problem, which I, I don't even know why I would need chef tongs. Like I'm sure as a person that doesn't really cook that much, I could be convinced to buy this product. Um, if you explain to me what it's for or why people are going to be impressed when they come to my house and they see this or, you know, what real chefs do with it, you know, those kinds of things I think would be interesting to learn. The other thing is, um, it's pretty obvious that this person is, um, you know, just getting started. This might be their first product. I think one of the things that we've previously talked about on this call is like experimentation with other products too. So, it's called Real Ham Chef Tools. I think I would probably try and throw a couple more products on the site just to see where people are gravitating towards. Again, like it's so expensive to get traffic to your site. Like let, let's let's run a couple of experiments and see where people are actually going. You know, if 90% of the people are going to your knives, well, then maybe you should be in the knife business and not the tong business. And right now, the only information you have is, do they like my tongs? Are they buying my tongs? I love That's it. great. I mean, I, you know, one thing I've seen other kind of, if you have this product, like it's almost a no-brainer. Like why don't you have recipes? Mm-hmm. like give me things I can go like Steve I thought you had a great point like hey no one wants a solder kit they want to like have better relationship with their their father <laughs> like, right like they want that I think that's a really great point which is just like give me recipes to go make give me like with everyone's product like not a, I don't want a trash can right like I want something that like makes my house smell better or it looks pretty to actually like have a trash can that looks gorgeous uh, and then I guess give me stories about what that will be like or activities that maybe not to do with my trash can uh, but you could talk to me yeah, like how to save the environment if that's the angle I was going at. Uh, Scott, were you going to say something or no, no. Ian? No. I mean, one thing I'm thinking too, like real ham, like for you guys. So let's say you guys are now in charge. Like we kill this guy uh, and we take over his site and we, we create, you know, uh, the pro, the best chef tongue, you know, pro chef tongs, like the best tongs you'll ever use in your kitchen ever. How would you guys actually go about getting the word out about this? So one, they need to collect emails, which he kind of did. Uh, but what would you guys, how would you go about evaluating getting the word out about chef tongs? Well, I think the, I think the, the main thing is, is you, you gotta be, you know, getting your brand out there, whether that's YouTube videos or, uh, Instagram or whatever, right. It's like how, I mean, in, if you're in the, the cooking business, then what, what better way than to just show people how to cook certain meals and then your tongs just happen to be there. You could also do like, you know, you know, five common things, you know, chefs are, you know, uh, that they want or the top, you know, whatever. If you're a chef and you're looking for the five, five top tools or, or something like that. But I think more so the use of them. And then from there, it's going to lead people back. It's to me, it's about leading to the content that they can actually consume. And then the byproduct is the actual tool that's doing the job. And w- then you can start to explain because you have your attention now. So now all of a sudden, why are these why does it make it easier and faster to use these tongs? Um, that's that's probably what I would say. Ian, Steve, what would you guys do to get to market this? I would probably put together a really compelling video 
that outlines the value proposition. And then I would probably run video ads on Facebook. And then I would probably just retarget those people that watch the video a certain percentage. Um, that's probably the fastest way to do it. Um, what, what Scott suggested is great. It just takes a lot longer to get information. Um, I don't know what your guys thought is on this and I haven't actually personally experimented, so I'm interested to hear, but, um, you know, I'm on Instagram, like as the rest of the world and I follow people that are, um, like foodies, right? So they like take pictures of their food. This is a, a whole phenomenon, I guess. But I mean, some of these people have millions and millions of followers, um, just from posting photos of their food. And so I don't know, have any of you guys experimented with Instagram and kind of that approach, you know, starting with the content first, like that through Instagram and then leading to the tongs. I've done some influencer marketing. Is that where you're going down with this? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could give these away to chefs and uh, see if they like it and let the product speak for itself, right? If they like it, they'll use it in a video and maybe they'll endorse you. I think that's a great approach. Yeah. Just like go find people to give your product to. I mean, I know when I've talked to the Quest Bars, which is now a billion dollar company, they got their product out there just giving it away for free and then just getting people to really like it and use it. Um, I've seen, you know, influencer marketing is also tough, right? Cause these people get free, like, I literally get like one free thing a week and you can always send me free things. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> there's no guarantee that they're actually going to use it, which is part of the problem, right? Like, Hey, I'll give you tongs if you tweet this. They're like, uh, no, you know, it's like that, but you know, pay me $10,000 and I'll tweet it. Um, maybe one alternative is either hosting local parties, right? Like there's just a bunch of different things. So like the way I approach marketing, uh, what I would do with real tongs is like, who, who are you targeting? You're targeting men, women. Like who's the exact person that should be buying this? Is it for house wannabe chefs? Is it for actual restaurants? Right. And then number two, like what's your goal around that? Right. Like how many are you trying to sell? And then three, where are these people? Right. It's because if you're trying to tar target like real chefs, you could go to like poached, which is like a hiring site for chefs. Or you could hit up restaurants and be like, hey, where do you guys normally find out about your products? And then actually go and work backwards from there. Um, you could also probably even even target uh, kids that are graduating from college that are culinary. You know what I mean? That I that are coming out of school that are needing professional chef equipment. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I was even thinking, I mean, it really depends who you want to target. And I think that's one thing that most businesses are doing incorrectly, which is just like, we target everyone. We target mm -hmm. people who cook. And I'm like, there's people who cook cheap meals and there's people who do microwave dinners, right? I don't think they're probably going to spend $60 on tongs, right? True. That's for, <laughs> he would go build it in his garage. You know, for, you know, <laughs> this is kind of why, why I like the Facebook approach and then seeing who's engaging and yeah, then like get more information. Yeah. yeah. Cause you can see all the demographics just by running that ad very quickly. What, what yeah, I mean, to, to your point, oh. sorry, to your point, no, it's like to selling toothpaste is like, it's, it's, it's really tough, you know, because everybody uses it. But if you can like narrow down your, your market to specific people, like selling toothpaste to people with dentures that are over 75 years old that have sensitive gums, right? Then it's a lot easier to figure out where, like you said, these people are hanging out. And it's generally in nursing homes, I would think. So maybe you need to be a traveling salesman. I don't know. But uh, so, what, Steve, you're saying the, the Facebook thing. I'm always, I, personally, I'm always hesitant spending money on things until yeah, I, I know, make money. Yeah, you're anti-PPC in the beginning, right? It's Yeah, my, yeah. it's more of like I don't want to spend it unless I know that I'm going to make a profit on it uh, versus like, oh, I'll just find data and then if they show interest, then maybe it'll work. Like, I'm, so for me, like my first thought is like once I've decided who it's for, I would probably look through my own network and my network's network. And even if it's small, people are like, well, I don't have a lot of friends. It's like you don't have friends that cook, right? Or you don't know have friends that work at restaurants or know people. Like everyone does. Yeah, um, no, so I, I'm I trying, I'm curious, I'm curious your approach with Facebook. So you buy an ad and who would you target for like these tong thing? Well, assuming you have some information to start with, um, let's say you have nothing, right? I would probably make an educated guess 
based on uh, what magazines people might read. So in, in this case, it might be some cooking magazine or whatnot. And then just put together a compelling video and see who watches it, right? And then you can take the group of people that watch, let's say 75% of this video, and then you can kind of get an idea of who's even interested in this product. And maybe you can try to sell it to those people. But you run this, and it's actually not that expensive if you target for video views, and then you can get insights on the people that are actually consuming this information from you. Okay, and um, then what, kind of, what kind of insights can you actually get? Um, you can get demographic information, like are, are men or women the ages? Like for example, like I found out uh, six months ago, and I hadn't done this because our store primarily caters to wedding people, and it was only after looking through Facebook Insights did I realize that there were a bunch of people aged 55 and up that were buying our handkerchiefs consistently, right? So what I did was I pulled my data for people who bought handkerchiefs more than once, and then I plugged all those email addresses into Facebook Insights, and all of a sudden there was this new demographic that I did not know about. And so that's what that's why I've started to just use Facebook as as a way to just kind of gather more data about other pockets of people that I might not even know that I, that I target. So do you just upload your emails and then go to Facebook audience insight to get better understanding of like from who your current, you basically take your customer list, upload it to audience insight Correct. and then see what their demographics are. Yes. I think that's a great idea. I mean, even if people don't have businesses yet, you can do it with any email list, like take your, you know, most open people or whatever it is, upload Facebook audience insight and they'll tell you who all these people are. Yeah. And this is kind of where our philosophies differ. Noah, like the way you're doing it is, is awesome, right? You're getting immediate sales. But the pro, and I guess I've heard you talk about this in the past too, like where scalability doesn't really matter. But the thing is with Facebook, as soon as you find that right audience, you can scale it pretty easily. Whereas your way is better to get quick sales with, right? Quick validation. Yeah, I think there's, there's a separation that I, I recognize, which is part one is to you know, make sure people want it. And then part two is how do you get many, many people to want it? But I think people want to jump to part two because it seems easier and like you don't have to actually deal with the hard part. Right. Uh, and I don't want people to avoid that because I think there's a lot of learning in that. Sure. So let's go to the last one. This is actually, you know, it's funny out of our conversation. I feel like this is where we're getting a lot of really good nuggets. What do you guys think? I do. Yeah, I like it. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the part where I'm like, yeah, I didn't think about the Facebook audience inside or I didn't think about like we should think about the marketing from this angle and like how to do the messaging. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, all right. Cuvee coffee, C U V E E coffee.com. This is actually based in Austin, Texas. This is Mike McKim. Uh, he's a little bit of a renegade and I like him. And so I thought we'd check out his site and have the experts roast him. Get it? Coffee roast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hit it. Who wants to lead? All right. I'll go first. Um, I'm not a coffee drinker, first of all. So, um, I think coffee is a really tough niche because there's like just so many different brands and everything out there. And when I first landed on the site, I honestly couldn't tell what was special about the coffee. So I actually interviewed someone on the podcast, Death Wish Coffee. Oh, yeah. And they have the strongest coffee in the world, right? And so when I went on their site, I immediately knew why I would buy their coffee. But with this coffee brand, I wasn't sure. And I actually even clicked around the site and I couldn't really get like a good value proposition out of it. So maybe some of you guys who actually drank this coffee can comment. Um, I haven't, dr I haven't had any of this coffee, but I am a coffee drinker and it's funny, Steve, I think I told you that, but the guys from death Wish, wish, um, uh, coffee there, right. And that's the name. Um, those guys, um, they were local from where I was in upstate New York. They, they were literally about 30 minutes from where I lived. That's where they started the brand. 
So that's right. cool. It's pretty. Yeah. All right. Let's come back to. It. Thank you, Steve, for taking us off course. Yeah. So uh, anyway, no, no. So ruining the show. So what I wanted, uh, what I wanted to say was, um, I, I agree. Like when I got here, I didn't know if it was like showing me that they have locations or if they actually have coffee, or if they have both, or if they have a roasting company, or if they do wholesale. Like there was a little bit of everything and the messaging wasn't clear to me. So I wasn't sure if it's a coffee shop, coffee brand, you know, and I wasn't really sh- sure who the ideal customer was. I-, I would say too, like images of people enjoying the coffee would have been nice to see. I didn't see any on the front page um, that were smiling or having enjoying the coffee. Um, and again, um, story, I didn't see any story or mission statement um, and I guess the one thing that I would like to, I mean, not that they have to, but I, I think it's always a plus if you can add a cause of some kind or, or of donations, especially if it's like something that's like organic or there's something there. Like, I just think that really ties a brand, um, together full circle. That's just an add on thing that I would probably look in, into doing if, if they were, you know, into causes. Um, so that, that's, that was my take. I mean, I want to know what's special about the coffee as soon as I land on it. Right. Yeah. Cause there's so many different brands out there. Okay, I had so, the same. Uh, I had the same problem that uh, Steve had, which is I, I came to the site and I couldn't tell what they do best or where they're making money. So I think that that would be my advice: is like, where do you guys make money? Is it selling coffee? It's probably not selling coffee cups, and selling coffee cups is like taking the third of the real estate above the fold. Um, you know, whatever small wares is. So I think that you know, I don't, I don't know these people, but like, um, it, it falls into the category of like small business syndrome, like local small business syndrome. They're like, Hey, we have a space. Like you can run our space. Hey, we have a parking lot. It's close to the racetrack. You can park here when you go to the racetrack. It's like, they're trying to sell me everything that they, that they, everything that they think is an asset. They're trying to sell to me, uh, coffee cups, coffee, um, you know, shirts, whatever it is. So figure it out what your, what, what your number one value proposition is, um, because you have my attention now and try and sell that to me. Don't try and sell me, you know, five different things. Well, you know, what's interesting. I think Ian and I were talking about this before we got the show started is that look at some of the competitors that are like at the top of your industry or look at com- people that are at the top of another industry to learn what they're doing differently. So like, you know, when you guys think of coffee, like blue bottle coffee is one that, that comes to mind for a lot of people or intelligentsia. Uh, I don't know if you guys are, you guys don't really drink a lot of coffee, but it's like, let's kind of see what they're doing and then look at it at alternate fields, right? So a lot of times, like look at makeup companies, look at like honest, whatever Jessica's company, uh, and see what they're doing so that you can actually, yeah, it's interesting. So intelligentsia, it's all about stories. They've got pictures of Brazil and pictures of families and all the people who are getting it. Um, and they try to sell you actually coffee and subscriptions right away. Uh, at Blue Bottle, actually, the first thing they try to do is get you an email and it's photos again of a great experiences. Uh, so I would probably learn from others in your industry or like the top in your industry or others in the top that I would look at Cuvée. The other thing that was strange for me is that like I get to the site and it has this like perfectly roasted page and I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, yeah. it shows me the cup, the coffee and then the nitrous coffee, mm-hmm. nitro coffee, but I can't do anything. I have to actually scroll down and that just seems like a waste. And then it has like featured items of random stuff. And in the featured, I actually think so to kind of coming back to Steve, what you said earlier, again, I'm going to say for cuvées, like they should just have like videos and articles about how you can have like the best coffee in the world at home. Right. Cause it seems like they do a lot of like labs, like, Hey, come learn how we do it at our coffee shop. They should probably just give me taste of that, uh, number one, to kind of get more people to come to the site and I trust them more. Number two, it seems like a subscription is a great way for coffee businesses to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, you know, I probably could keep going, but three, it's like, what's your angle of your coffee? Hey, like we're the premium coffee that that's the cheapest. We are like coffee from the South. We're coffee from a certain country. 
Um, like, yeah, I think that's a great point. Like what differentiates their coffee than others? Yeah. So Ian, your point is that they just have too much stuff going on. Yeah. I just can't understand what they want me to do. Like what, you know, what is, what is your number one value proposition that you provide to your customers and, um, and how can I opt into that? So, you know, I see a lot of times like people have this, like, Oh, we offer this, we offer that, we offer this. And a lot of times, uh, the reason for that is, um, because they're trying to monetize everything to the sun in their business. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad idea, but it definitely takes away a lot of your resources from what could be your most valuable, um, proposition. And so when I look at this site, I wonder if they actually know what the most valuable proposition or what the most valuable product is that they sell. Because if it's coffee, um, then all my site is all about coffee. If I'm making the most amount of money on renting out my coffee shop, then that's what's on my front page. So I, I question whether or not they, they really understand what their business model is or if they're just trying to over monetize it, if that makes sense. Yeah. In fact, I just noticed now that their featured items are all classes, right? That, that's yeah. kind of confusing. Yeah. So they're selling a lot of classes. It's kind of like pick one thing that you guys, you kind of want to specialize in and get on and like own that space. Well, I think on the front page, I mean, what it could be, and and they're kind of alluding to this, which is like small wares, coffee, black and blue, but it could be, you know, coffee, coffee courses, event space, right? So I like land on their page. I'm like, okay, well, I've heard of Cuvée before and because I've drank their coffee, I'm going to go buy their coffee. I've heard of Cuvée before because I went to an event here. I'm going to click on the event. You know, if, if they must offer three different uh, options for people to do, make it, make it distinct. So I know where I should be going. Yeah, I like Noah's point. Like maybe the call line should be learn how to brew the perfect cup of coffee at home and then sell the classes. But then, of course, if people are in your classes, you can sell your coffee there, right? Once you get them in the door pretty easily. It's funny how much I buy from people that I trust. Right. So a lot of the, you know, it's funny. Uh, a story that someone told me is like Ryan Gosling. And, you know, whether you think he's good looking or not, like, yeah, yeah whatever Ryan Gosling. But if you actually know his Definitely story, good like, looking, by the way. he's very, he, you know, he looks like me. So, the thing with Ryan Gosling is that he's actually, I think he was adopted and abused and like he had a crazy upbringing to actually become successful. And once I actually read more of his background, I was like, man, I want to support this guy more. And that, that kind of message has really stuck with me with a lot of the companies that, and people I support. I'm like, oh yeah, I really like, like who they are. I like that message that they have. I like their story. So if I can learn more about Cuvée Coffee, like they actually have a pretty interesting story. Like the government's been trying to kick them out uh, and ban them in a lot of different re- for reasons. And it actually is like, hey, we're their coffee for rebels. I like that. Right. And it's a good mm-hmm. angle. Yeah. Good so angle. there's just something for them to like, you know, black and blue is one of their coffee names. Obviously they're, they're kind of rebels to some extent. But so, I didn't get any of that though. When I landed on that page. Yeah. It just needs to be tightened up. Like give yeah. me like more of an experience on the site. You drop me on like an espresso random page. One other thing I think you guys uh, probably know this too, is like when you're doing your e-commerce store, short your short your products from the most popular ones to the least. So I'm guessing when people come to Kuwait Coffee, their first thing they're not going to do is buy the basic espresso lab, right? So they should probably say like, hey, these are our most two popular coffees or this is the coffee that we're known for and really focus on selling me the most popular ones instead of distracting me with a bunch of other options that may not be as popular. That's mm-hmm. good. Yep. Yep. And again, collect emails. Like only 5% at best are going to buy. 95% aren't. That's why we have sumo.com. This message was sponsored by Sumo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Noah, though, though, real quick, what would you say would be a good offer? I, I've got an idea. I mean, I, I, why not give away some like free coffee like once a month? You pick a couple of random winners or something. You enter here to win free coffee or or, or maybe it's like you said, maybe it's like a, a, some type of how to make the best coffee at home without having to attend one of our classes. Like, I don't know, like what, let's let's maybe shoot an idea there real quick. 
or a giveaway no, I, using kingsumo.com. What do you think, Scott? <laughs> Actually, I, this episode is sponsored by AARP, the Association <laughs> of American Retired People. Because when you're about to die, drink some coffee. No, so... <laughs> I've been thinking about that. No, I, I actually don't sweat the opt-ins, like uh, what Scott was bringing up, which I think is a is a solid point, which is like, you know, try different messaging to get people to want to give you their email so that you can educate them and then they trust you and then they want to make purchases from you. But the bigger point is just to get it started. Yeah. And I think until you actually see results that like, oh man, if I send an email, I'll make some money, which is what we found out through AppSumo. Uh, once you start seeing it, then you can get more advanced and have giveaways or you can test like, doing like a free coffee of the month or a discount or just like, Hey, find out about our newest flavors or, um, the, the opt-in to me is less interesting. I also think about like, how do they get more people coming to their site? I think Ian, you know, the beard brand guys, which they've taken beard brand and then just made a bunch of videos and Instagram. And that's actually really how they've grown their business. If I'm, if I'm yeah. not correct. Yeah. It's primarily right? through YouTube actually. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Eric I is like a master, uh, master YouTuber and he just happens to be channeling people to beard products. I mean, that he could be selling anything, though. And I think that's the point. So what do you think he's doing that they could learn from? Uh, Eric at Beardbrand? Yeah, what do you think that the coffee brand could be doing that, you know, that's working for him? Well, I mean, basically what Eric's doing is um, he... The interesting thing about Eric, I guess, from Beardbrand is, like, he he lives that life like through and through. Like I just helped him buy a, a Volvo station wagon because he wants to be even more of a hipster. So like he, <laughs> he, he is just like the most bearded hip hipster there is. So like it's, it's a very genuine process for him. And so it makes it really easy for him to turn on the microphone or to turn on the video recorder and talk about things that he's interested in. And so I think that that's, that's important too. And, uh, you know, having that kind of consistency through your life and, you know, I don't know about this coffee brand or whatever, but m my guess is that they're passionate about coffee. You know, can they speak about it, you know, in an intelligent way? I would hope so if they've been in the business for a long time. So yeah, share, share with people your story, share with people why you're doing what you're doing. That's actually so surprising. Back in the day with AppSumo, this is, this blew my mind. Our number one bestseller for two years was how we built AppSumo. We created this, we literally recorded a video, me and Andrew, and it was like just us talking about how we built it and how we got it to the seven figure company and grew it. And that, oh, that alone, people wanted to pay a lot of money for. And it was kind of, it's not that I think people should just sell their stories, uh, but it made me realize like how much people want to connect and learn more about the companies they like, right? Like that's why we buy like Nike's like biography, Shoe Dog, because we want to like, you know, I haven't even bought Nike's in I don't know a few years, but I bought that because I like the product. I like the brand and I want to learn more about it. That's interesting. I didn't know idea. I thought it was Neville's course that sold the most. At least that's what he told me. Neville says everything sells the most. <laughs> <laughs> so the point being, I think just connecting with the story, optimizing your e-commerce a lot better in terms of like driving them to a specific cell and having more of an experience. And I mean, like what do you, when you guys ask seeing this, I'm curious for Scott or Steve, when you guys think of like top e-commerce sites or ones that you're like, Hey, I should, you know, go replicate from them. You know, what do you guys think of? What are the first ones that come to mind? Oh man. There's, there's a, there's a lot, but I mean, it's funny that you bring up, you know, beard brand. I mean, if you go to their site, I mean, they're doing a really good job. So, I mean, you know, they've got everything in place. So I would say that'd be a good one to look at and, and kind of like model what they're doing in, in your market. Um, for, for, for me personally, like, again, I, I just went there, as you guys mentioned, I've seen him, on, I seen him on Shark Tank. So I, I'm familiar with him. Um, and I thought it was great then, but I mean, the brand is totally represented, you know, by the website it's built you know, exactly what you would want. Um, I think that's a great example. I think it's all about story for me. So I'll give you a quick story. Um, a long time ago when we first had kids, we were looking for slings. 
baby slings. If you guys probably don't know what that is, uh, Scott, you might. Yeah, I know. But um, we were looking at different brands, and they all look the same. They all look the same. But there was this one brand, and the sales lady pitched it as this like 90 year old guy. He had a kid late in life, and he decided to devote his entire life creating the perfect baby sling. It's this Japanese guy. And like she presented that story to us, and then we tried that sling on. And all of a sudden, that sling felt so much more valuable than the other ones we were trying on. So that story really made a huge difference. Yeah. So they just they, they told you a story about it? That's it? They did, yes. They told us a story about the guy who developed that sling. This 90-year-old guy who spent like the last decade of his life developing this sling. And then he died in it or what? I, I think he was still living. But uh, we ended up not buying it because it was 200 bucks. But but if it was like. (laughs) So it wasn't that compelling. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Steve. No, but I I think story is a great thing that's undervalued. Right. And people want to like people buy from who they like. And so if it's like with Cuvée Coffee, be like, hey, you know, even make a video of yourself. Like I think a lot of us make it too fancy where the first one can literally use your phone, record yourself at your home. Be like, hey, here's where I got started. And that's what you can put on Facebook or your website or whatever. Uh, And I think people are like you know, assuming they need to do something a lot fancier and, and you could do that after you get something just started. Yeah. And that's so, part of your initial autoresponder sequences too, right? Your story. Yeah. That's a great point. Actually, I might go do that for my own autoresponder because people don't, I mean, you know, one thing I think Steve is uh, two things actually I have two, two thoughts. Like I think we assume that everyone knows everything about us from the beginning. And that's like, we're like, Oh, of course they know our story when they don't or you don't put it out there. And two, I realized today that when I put out content or I put out a product, you really have to, if you really think it's a great content or product or service, you have to go make an effort to let people know about it. You can't just assume they're going to hear about it. And I think a lot of businesses like that might've worked in the beginning. They're like, well, it's not working anymore. It's like, well, are you, are you telling anyone about it? Cause I put out a blog post I thought was really great. And I was like, oh, how are people actually going to hear about it? And so I, you think you have to go with like, if it's a great product, don't be bashful about communicating with email or communicating with ads or whatever it is. If you think it's a great product and having to actually remind people of it, people need to see things multiple times before they're ready to make a decision on stuff. I actually think you do a really good job of that, Noah. Um, I remember when Sumo Me first came out, like, you know, you, you, you kept bringing it up and, uh, you know, it, it, it works actually. Like I wasn't aware of the product or I might've forgotten about it, but you would remind me. Right. And then I would go try it. And I finally used it. I so. was telling someone about this two days ago. Like I'm, you just got to let people know. And I think if you don't have a product that you're proud of, there's two things. Well, you can do this. Well, I'm never going to be proud of it. I'm always going to be ashamed. Right. Like, Oh, Jewish guilt. It's like, you know, one thing is that like find um, like you have to get it out there. But when you've gotten to a point where you're like, hey, I'm actually really proud of this. Like, I think what you need to do is actually go harder than you're comfortable with. Right. And then figure out like where that pendulum lies for you. But for me, I'm like, if I'm proud of this, like I, I think I'm doing a disservice to myself if I don't let more people know. And I think more people, if they have things they're proud of, like need to go a little bit harder and getting the word out. Mm-hmm. So in wrapping up, it's been about an hour, so I want to respect our times and obviously we'll edit this down to you know 30-ish minutes, give or take. What is the future of e-commerce? Like, What are the things that you guys are like, here's where I'm really going to take advantage of? So Ian put out an article today where he said, you know, I, a lot, I see a lot of people like buying products on Alibaba, trying to arbitrage on Amazon. And Ian actually put an article saying like, hey, go do that on Etsy. So Ian, maybe talk about that. And I'm curious, Scott and Steve, where do you guys think a lot of e-commerce is going to be going to that given that you guys are so uh, immersed in it? Yeah, I mean, the, the what I talked about today was um, how to validate a product for less than $100. So, um, and I think that that's totally possible through Etsy. Um, so a, a lot of these platforms like Amazon, 
uh, eBay, there are professional tools and we've talked about them some on this show where you'll get professional sellers. Essentially, people are, are very good at finding a market, exploiting that market and flooding it with products. Um, Etsy is one of these places that that hasn't quite happened to yet, although it's starting to happen to, meaning like there's still makers producing unique products on Etsy. And so there's still room to kind of get in when you don't have all this expertise like SEO, content marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And part of that is just because the search algorithm, I think, is a little bit less developed at, at Etsy. Um, but what I found through my research, um, just buying things on Etsy, experimenting, is that there are a lot of sleeping giants on Etsy. There are a lot of companies that are doing over a million dollars on Etsy with real teams. Um, and they're selling products that they're making, most of them. Um, and so I think that there's a real opportunity to get on Etsy to figure out what's working and to bring it either to Etsy or to other markets. And it's not to say that you can't do the same thing on Amazon or Google or anything like that. But one of the points that I made in the article is that I really feel like the internet is getting smaller. You know, when you like Google bar stools, which is the example I made, like it's all the people that you'd expect. Like it's Wayfair, it's Amazon, it's Pier One, it's Elm, you know, it's all these sites, right? But there, there's a lot of products out there that aren't on that front page. And so it's just getting increasingly hard on Amazon and Google to market your products and to be in front of people if you're not a professional marketer. Um, and I think Etsy is one of the one of the 